Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Peter Rutzler and Jeremy Smith. March Madness begins this week, but it seems that it's already hit the world of football this week, and unfortunately, France has all been too willing to join in. But more on that and the weekend's action after the latest headlines. Monaco maintained their iron grip on second place after winning 3-1 away to, from home against Strasbourg on Friday night. Uh, Stefan Jovetic, Ronnie Lopez and Fabinho all struck to sink the Alsace side, who now just sit three points above the automatic relegation places. Saturday's early kickoff saw Paris Saint-Germain blow off some steam post-Champions League exit as they thumped bottom side Mets 5-0. Youngster Christopher Nkunku stole the show with two goals and almost had a third. Well, Timothy Weyer also made another cameo with 20 minutes off the bench. In the multiplex, Lille let a goal lead slip against Montpellier to draw 1-1, leaving them in the relegation places. Fans then stormed the pitch at full time, attempting to kick and punch some of their own players and chanted, if we go down, we are coming for you at club owner Gerard Lopez. Elsewhere, Nantes left it late to win for the first time in five games as top scorer Emiliano Sala scored to beat Troyes as Angers made it seven points from a possible nine with a goalless draw against Bordeaux. Two 1-1 draws populated the rest of Saturday's matches as Dijon dropped points at home for only the second time in 10 games against Amiens, while Rennes scored four minutes from time to deny Saint-Étienne in that draw. On Sunday, an Alassane player quadruple uh, helped Nice to a 5-2 win against Gangump. Uh, the home side have now just one win in their last 10 games in all competitions, uh, while elsewhere as Lyon finally got out of their slump of six games without a win by beating a KG Con side 1-0. In the final game of the weekend, Marseille proved too much in the end for Toulouse as they ran out 2-1 winners. Kostas Mitroglou scored the winner just seconds after coming on in the second half, maintaining OM's five-point gap over Lyon, who they take on next Sunday. And that's all for the news. But for all your latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week up north, where Lille ended up drawing this weekend against Montpellier, but that's not the real story in this one. Fans stormed the pitch at full time and attempted to assault several of the players who were quickly ushered off, thankfully, and they proceeded to chant at their owner, Gerard Lopez, because of the struggles that they've been having this season. Peter, it's well, it's getting really ugly now, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. Um... Reflections of, of West Ham over here as well, but this would be a little bit more extreme, even though they had more stewards. And yeah, you're right; it's getting a bit ugly, and uh, it's quite surprising in a way that it that it manifested in the way that it did. I mean, that's not to say that this hasn't been bubbling away for some time. Um, the financial difficulties that that Lille are in are are well documented, and, and we've talked about them on the pod. And of course, they've got their uh, suspended sort uh, relegation hanging over them as well. Um, but yeah, it, it all bubbled over, obviously, and if you didn't see it, it was uh, the end of the game against Montpellier. Um, it was 1-1, one, one, 
the game. Lille had led in the game. They were pegged back by a Roussillon goal. And I mean, a draw against Montpellier isn't exactly something that you you, you sniff at. Um, Montpellier are pushing for Europe, which has surprised many people. Um, they're a very difficult side to beat. Um, all of the big sides have struggled against them this season. Uh, but, you know, at, at full time, fans streamed onto the field. It was not very pretty, pretty scenes at all. Uh, players being hit. Um, Thiago Maia, I think, said afterwards that one fan went to kick him, but it was blocked by Stewart. And uh, then, of course, it was all directed at, at Gerard Lopez. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a culmination of a, of a season of broken promises, which chimes a lot with, with what's happened at West Ham as well. Uh, of course, with Lille, it was Gerard Lopez coming in and saying, Champions League football, I want to get Lille back to the, to the, uh, the top table of French football and, and then back into Europe's elite competition. It hasn't worked out like that, not helped by El Loco, of course. Um, I mean, they, they spent heavily uh, last summer, uh, brought in a number of young players trying to replicate that, the Monaco model of, of buy uh, young, cheap players, cheaper players. I mean, Lille, uh, cheaper relatively compared to, to the major prices that are paid by Paris Saint-Germain, but compared to the rest of the league, uh, a lot more than that. But and then sell on for more. That's the, the the model, but it just hasn't worked out like that at all. And Gerard Lopez's financial issues, of course, you know his money is not his. It's it's borrowed. It's almost like it's a hedged uh, sort of bet with with how he's anticipating his player assets to to, to be resold. And form is falling off a cliff. And you know they're they're second bottom. And you can understand why the fans are frustrated. Of course, you can understand that. And fans have every right to protest, but when you're invading the field like they did, when you're attacking your own players, you know, it's just, it, the major issue with it is that it doesn't really solve anything. The only thing it does is, A, it will probably get a stadium ban. Um, it will cause the, the Lille players, most of these are young players. I think that's what um, uh, Benzio pointed out after the game. You know, they're going to be affected by this. You're not exactly, it's not exactly a positive environment to play. You lose the home advantage, it becomes a complete opposite. It's a whole new level of pressure. It's, it can only have a negative effect on the team. And whilst every fan has a right to protest, they pay their money and, and all of that. So, but at the end of the day, you've, you, when you protest in like this, when you cross the line and go onto the field, you're actually just, it's just detrimental for, for your side's fortunes. And unfortunately, that's what happened on, on, on Saturday. Mm, absolutely. And whether it's the right way, wrong way, or, or only way, really, Jez, of going about this, I mean, we've, as, as a, briefly mentioned in the intro really we've seen a few of these uh, strange incidents over the weekend obviously there was the the one at West Ham that that caught a lot of attention but obviously didn't lead to 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 violence at least anyway like we saw saw in France and the, the even stranger one really in Greece with the with the um, owner of the club coming on the field with a gun and he suspended the entire league because of it the, the government so at least it's not got that badly but in this specific isolated case um Obviously, we sort of con- we have to condemn the violence that the fans have done, but have they got a, a right to be angry at the owners and, and want to, to protest against them? Obviously, this is not the right way to go about it. Um, but is it? Are they right in wanting to protest against this this group that Gerard Lopez has brought in and, and what he's done with the club so far? Um, I think that there's definitely an argument for for saying they've got a right to be annoyed i mean i think when he came in this is the same sort of consortium that came close to 
to buying Marseille and putting Bielsa back in charge there, and that fell through. And suddenly, within sort of weeks or months or whatever, that they're they're buying Lille, and that to me that that sort of smacked a little bit of of um, sort of bad signs that you know. I'm not saying all these owners buy any of these clubs through love of the club particularly, but someone who's sort of willing to go, oh, yeah, that one didn't work out, so here's another club for me. It does seem that it's not really about any kind of love of the project, for want of a better word. It's just about, um, I don't know, money and ego trips and that kind of thing. So I think there are warning signs right from the start. And, um, you know, certainly the... The Bielsa experiment went went very badly wrong, and you know, de- depending on whether you're sort of one of Bielsa's uh, rose-tinted um, disciples or not, you're going to blame him or or people higher up. It was interesting that um, Saidu, the the former Lille president, sort of very very much said that it's uh, it's all Bielsa's fault. Um, you know, even if it is, you have to blame those above him for giving him free reign to do whatever he wanted. But the, the bottom line is that you know, that's certainly not the way to to deal with it. And you know, I'm absolutely not condoning what what the West Ham fans did. But at least, apart from one or two exceptions, they sort of surrounded the the director's box in the stands and made it clear who their who their sort of anger was was directed at. Whereas you know, in the Lille, again, for better or worse, because of the way Bielsa went about it, and as Peter said, that you know, trying to trying to um, follow the Monaco model, it's a squad of very very young players, um, and you know, they're still they're not having a great season. Of course, they're not, but they're still only one point from safety, and to to direct it all at, at the players, to you know, frighten them. I mean, you know, experienced players, you look at how Mark Noble for West Ham was, was freaked out by by one fan invading the pitch the other day for, um, you know, a few a few kids basically to be attacked actually physically in some cases by several hundred fans is is ridiculous. You know, they're going to be spooked now. You, you'd assume they're going to be spooked for, for, if not the rest of the season, certainly the next couple of matches. Um, they're probably, you know, are they really play? You you want to think any footballer turning out is going to be playing for themselves, but also for the fans. Are they now going to be want to be playing for the for these fans if that's if that's the people that they're representing? Um, and yeah, as as Pete said, um, they're probably almost certainly going to be playing um, at least a couple, if not the remainder of their home matches behind closed doors, which obviously isn't going to help either. It was such a counterproductive thing to do, and you know, Galtier gave an interesting interview, and um, you know, obviously not happy, but you know, he said, "What, what happens now? I'm going to go home now. Um, I live in in the centre of Lille. Are there going to be fans waiting for me at the door when the players go home? Are they going to have fans waiting for them at the door? So, you know, it's not even something that they can sort of um, switch off and say, "Oh, you know, this is what happened yesterday. I'll go home. I'll forget about it." That you know. Fans do get to know where players live. If they're, if these fans are so angry that they're, they're prepared to do what they did yesterday, who knows what they can do? It's, it's not a good situation to be in at all. And Galti also sort of implied when when asked um, that there was, you know, there were hints that something like this could happen. So 
you know the trouble had been rumbling for a while so clearly it's it's a major issue that's affecting all areas of the club but to to let it affect the players to or to let it risk affecting the players to that extent is absolute madness and you know it's always a cliche when there's any kind of hooliganism or anything like that you know it's a minority they don't represent the majority it doesn't matter i mean you know th- there's enough of them there to make it a really big issue um I'm sure they're not all sort of mercenaries who are there just for just for the fun of a punch up or whatever. I'm sure they are genuine Lille fans, but they've got a very funny way of showing it. Yeah, that's not necessarily what I would describe a fan anymore. Really, it's it's crossing a border, isn't it? I know there's always sort of a a weird um, cultism you might say about football, but but a lot of fans have crossed the line really in, in that game, especially in, and also obviously elsewhere, but. Kicking, punching the players. I mean, it's unforgivable, really. Those those poor lads. A lot of them, and that's the worry really, uh, that I wanted to to mention, really, Peter, is that a lot of these players, part of this project, are very young, growing players. That this might not just affect them for the rest of the season and their fight against relegation, which might be a, a misnomer anyway, because of the issues with the DNCG that that might rear their ugly head at the end of the season, but. This is going to drastically affect the rest of their season, isn't it? It's like Jeremy said, it's not just them thinking about it on the pitch, but, but now off the pitch as well. Yeah, I think I think um, Jeremy put it quite eloquently. You know, these, these players are going to be spooked by by what's happened, and it, it, as Jez was saying, it, it goes beyond just what happens on the field in front of stands full of fans, whether there even be stands full of fans now for, for Lille at home for the rest of the campaign. But it, at home, when you're training at the training ground that's not a conducive atmosphere for success. And it's it will be tough for, for Lille now. I mean, they are so close to, to safety. I mean, it's they're three points off 15th, <laughs> for, for one thing. And it's their form hasn't been that poor. I mean, since Galtier's come in, they, they've experienced a bounce. Um, he's tried to make them solid. And I think part of the issue that Galtier faced when he came in was facing a squad that was already in, in a relative amount of turmoil from... Bielsa's methods which aren't exactly uh, family friendly all the time so trying to recover that which was already sort of a sinking ship and now you're obviously these issues which players clearly are aware of beforehand but now it's been taken to a whole new level by by supporters is is not going to be a positive influence for for the rest of the season and you know that losing the, the home advantage is a big thing they've got Monaco away next I think so it's there is potential for it to spiral, but it's yeah, it's, it's such a counterproductive thing to do. I mean, even financially, I think it was in Le Keep that we were talking that there was a, a businessman who supposedly signed a, a deal with the club, uh, a 20 million euro deal, um, but he was there and obviously was horrified by what he saw. So you get things like that, you know, that's not exactly advertising the club in the right way when you've already got financial issues hanging over you. So. There are so many ramifications from this. And I mean, the only real positive was that the stewards were able to at least defend as some uh, defend as well as they could. I mean, when you're watching the, the images, you've got fans trying to force their way through towards the dressing room, which is just, it's shocking, really. And, um, you know, it's it's not going to be good news for them on their, on their, in their fight for survival. That said, I do think they've got players good enough to do it. It's just whether now, mentally, they, they're able to gather themselves again and, and and keep themselves in the division. Yeah, absolute credit to those stewards as well. That they did an absolute stand-up job to try and uh, rescue the players in what was 
really for them a horrifying situation of, the, of them trying to protect themselves against their own fans uh, trying to assort them a, a credit to them and, and their work that they they did on that one but Jeremy at the end of this year we, we've mentioned the stigma this is probably going to throw at the players and, and the, the hammer blow it might be to their, their mental toughness really for the fight ahead I mean there's only nine games left of the season they are not far off safety. Obviously, a point will put them above time, put them in the um, relegation playoff at the moment. But this kind of thing could cripple them, couldn't it? And it could, in the end, if, if other teams start picking up points again, um, relegate them. It could do. I mean, you look at their, their run-in, it's not the worst in the world. they got, um, you know, Monaco, Marseille, Bordeaux away, although Bordeaux's form's, you know, a bit up and down. All the other matches are winnable and they end the season with... Um, Mess and Toulouse, which you know, really winnable games. And uh, as Pete said, they're not they're not playing bad stuff under Galtier. Um, you know, the, the the second half against Lyon, I thought they were they really were excellent. And not only in terms of what they showed on the pitch, but just to you know to to have the strength of character as as a group of young players to to come back from two 0 down as well. Um, so you know, I definitely think the abilities there. That's what makes it all, um, all the more ridiculous what those fans are doing. It's not like <laughs> it's not like they're mess, basically. Um, you know, completely cut adrift. They're 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 so in the fight, and um, you know, at half or not half time, but uh, yeah, half time. I think yesterday that you know, I suppose virtually they were. Not yesterday on Saturday. Sorry, they were virtually out of the relegation zone. It's it's that close, and you know it could easily change that quickly again. It only it only takes a couple of wins to 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 climb right up the table. Um, so I think that the fans overdid it, but it's sort of doubly, triply, quadruply punishing themselves because you'd think that whereas the pl- the players may have thought, you know. As Pete said, you know, a decent point against a team that's tough to beat, and you know, we go on to the next match or the next couple of matches um, with reasonable chances of, of of getting some points and climbing up the table. Now it's it's set them back so far psychologically. Um, you'd be, I still think they should stay up, but after this, it, it wouldn't be surprising if if any kind of form completely tailed off and. And they sort of not plummeted because they can't. They're not going to go any further down. But you know, they they failed to climb out of it as a result. And that's that's the real worry now, isn't it? I think that it almost feels like even though those there is a a lot of points to play for and a lot of great chances for them, it just feels like that that will be the blow that will either send them down or, or hold them back from getting completely out of danger. Really, I mean. At the same time, there there'll be a lot of questions that will happen in the summer with in terms of finances and whether they'll stay up because of that means and rightfully so the the fans should protest about that. They should have protested that about that earlier and and in the stands or, or at the end of a game. But there there is no no reason to be assaulting the players at all. The players put everything into that game. They were probably the better side in that match. It was a 1-1 draw in the end. I don't think they realised that really, that Montpellier didn't end up scoring another goal. Yes, Mike Maignan had to make a few saves near the end and uh, um, they, Montpellier could have quite easily won it as, themselves as well at the end, but 
there should be no blame on those players or, or Christophe Galtier, who is galvanising that squad after a, a terrible start. And they are starting to play better and show more heart and, and try to grind out results. And realistically, if they waited, if this was next week, for example, and they've got a different game next week, obviously, and it's sort of game against, against Monaco, would they have done the protest if they had drawn one one against Monaco? I don't think they would have done. Um, it makes a massive difference, really. And I, I think it's appalling. And against a good side in Montpellier as well, a good defensive side, they've they played really well. Um, it's disgusting. And uh, Also, just the, um, yeah, there seems to be more of a culture in France of sort of clubs and fans being willing to meet and, you know, delegations and fan representatives. And sometimes it goes a bit too far, like it, occasionally does in Marseille when they when they've had some kind of crisis and Ren every year seem to have some kind of set to training grounds and stuff but at least there is some kind of dialogue whereas in is in England it definitely doesn't seem like there ever is with the Premier League clubs they're sort of so remote from their fans so it's not like there isn't generally a forum for fans to to protest in a in a more productive peaceful way they should. It's quite interesting, sorry to chip in. I think the, I think Lopez met with fan groups this week as well. I think that's what made it so surprising, is that they, he'd had some kind of meeting with supporters in the run-up to this game uh, last week. And then obviously, within you know seconds, it's just completely collapsed and <laughs> everything that was said obviously hasn't held stick if anything positive was said. Yeah, it's a, it's a worrying time for the club, really. And yeah, you start to worry now. There's there's likely to possibly be a stadium closure. I think possibly even for the end of the season, depending on how hard the ban hammer comes from um, the league and officials. But we'll we'll wait and see on that one, really. Um, on to what was one of the interesting games of the weekend, and really two ships passing in the night, really, um, with one side going down, one going up, really, and starting with a positive. Peter, it was the game between Nice and Gangomp, and, and Nice ran out 5-2 winners, and because mainly of the scoring exploits of Alisson Player, it was a real excellent performance and <laughs> with them obviously, the great stat that they've not won a game without Mario Balotelli, now they have. Um, a great time to show up, wasn't it? Yeah, no, he, he really excelled in that central position up front and it's, uh, completely changed his uh, goal-scoring record for the season, uh, from 6-10. to 10. Um and yeah, he was out, he was outstanding. He was clinical. Um, I think he was helped, of course, by some questionable defending. I think it'd be a nice way of putting it from from Gangon. But he was uh, superb. Uh, his second goal, especially, was excellent. The way he chests it down, skips past the defender, and then coolly slots it into the far corner. It was a real all-round performance from from player. Um, and we haven't really seen much of that uh, for Nice this this season, and really since Balotelli. Has, has has joined the club. Um, of course, Balotelli has become sort of the main man, and especially this season, we've seen him pushed out wide to the left. Um, I think the last time player scored a hat trick was again in the absence of Balotelli. I think it was against Mets actually, Jez. Um, yep. it's, and again, that was him playing through the <laughs> through the centre. Um, and you know, he seems to to thrive there. I mean, his consistency. I think when you compare the two between Balotelli and Play, you can understand why why Favre has backed Balotelli because Balotelli has just been so good for Nice, and he has been an essential cog in keeping them afloat in what's been a completely all over the place sort of season. But then counterintuitively, you could just go, well, you know, maybe that's part of the issue. You know, they're they're being too rigid with with Balotelli when they've got other options. 
but yeah, but player was was outstanding. Four really well taken goals, um, a huge confidence boost for him. Uh, and I, I think, I think the, the, despite the the, the defensive questions which we'll come on to with Gangon, I think that for him it was a, a really really polished performance. Yeah, and, and a polished performance from from Nice, who have been much better in the second half of the season, really, Jez. So they, they slowly crept up the table after that shocking start where they were really flirting with relegation within the first sort of 10-15 games. But now they are back up in seventh and 42 points. They're only a point off Nantes in, uh, in fifth place. And with a good team, with players starting to grow in confidence, I, I thought uh, Jean-Michel Serri was very good at the weekend uh, player. Um, Obviously, players starting to score and having Balotelli, who is doing really well at the moment this season, at least scoring goals as well. They're starting to get a little bit stronger. They, they're getting, gaining confidence. They have probably the best quality out of those teams facing for that spot. So it's a late run at it, but do they have a real shot at getting Europa League football again? They do. They need to show consistency or hope that it's a sort of season of four quarters and they're onto a positive final quarter because... They kind of started terribly, then had a really good run around the turn of the year. And then in in recent weeks, their, their form's tailed off again a little bit. I mean, a couple of them are cup defeats, but um, the last few weeks haven't been so positive. And then, um, yeah, um, back to in the last two matches, I mean, they, they, they beat Lille last week. And then this is a really positive result. It, it, to an extent, I think it was it was pretty flattering. I mean, Lucia Favre made it really clear that um, you know that w- when they first equalised, it was um, completely against the run of play that they were sort of being battered at the time. And arguably, um, Gangwa opened the scoring with a penalty and probably should have had a, another penalty a minute later. And you know, if it had been two nil, that would have that would have made it very different. And then, you know, even at the end, Gangon came back to three two, and then a couple of late goals um, make it look like a real thrashing. So, um, I don't think too much should be read into into the the score itself. But yeah, I do think that of the teams around that um, that spot below the below the top four, I think Nice should have the quality to to take that position. You know, if they want to, but then. I guess you could say they've had that quality all year and, and really they, they should be um, sort of quite comfortable in that position by now. Um, but I, do, I think Favre is an excellent coach. I think I think possibly this weekend was was a big sort of psychological boost in terms of you know realising that they're not absolutely reliant on, on Balotelli for the goals. Um, Lees Malou, I think, has been quietly excellent all season, but... Um, yes, you know, Seri coming back to something approaching his best bodes well with the two of them, you know, making lots of chances for the, for the <clears throat> front two or three. So things bode well. But as I said, they, they sort of boded well around the end of January as well. And then it went wrong for a few weeks. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for them that it, that it will be a positive finish. And I think it should be. Yeah, because I also feel like on on the the balance of everything in the the qualities of what those teams have, you look at really it's down to four teams you would think now, unless a, a Bordeaux or even Dijon went on a, on a bit of a crazy run and the other four sort of slipped off. But Montpellier, Nice, Rennes, and Nantes, you would say obviously Nice have the the most resources, probably the best squad out of those four as well. Really, you you might think that. Uh, 
after that, maybe rent have decent, well, spent a lot in the summer at least anyway, so they, they do have the financial backing as well, but do they have the squad to really compete on those levels? At least Nice have been in European competitions for the last couple of years, so are more used to it, have a, have a bigger squad because of it, and they use a lot of their players and did do much better this season, at least anyway, even though they did uh, go out to Lokomotiv Moscow. So it does feel like, at least from a league point of view, in terms of those those great coalition points to try and get a better Champions League place or something like that. Um, they they need someone like Nice possibly in there uh, fighting for the for the Europa League rather than some of the other squads. But on to um, so we've not really mentioned a lot. It feels like this season in, in Gangomp, who've who've sort of drifted between three different sections of forms. It feels in in those sort of quarters you mentioned earlier, Jez, where um, the first section was pretty dire. Really, they I think they only won three game, well four games in the sort of first three months of the season they had a really good sort of december early early january period where they i think they won five out of out of six as well but and then it's dipped again they've only won one in their last 10 in all competitions now but the positive thing for them really is there's a, a lot of teams below them that are, are just as bad and just as inconsistent yeah, definitely. I think with um, with with Gangon, I think with last season, of course, it was it was a case of two halves, and this season, it's, as you were saying, it's thirds. Um, I think I think the season's been quite stagnant, really. It's probably the best way to describe it. I mean, again, here in, in this display, I think we, we could easily draw alarm bells from the fact that you know they've gone to five two down, as, as Jess was saying, which wasn't really reflective. of the actual game itself and again against Angers last week when they went lost 3-0 it was 1-0 until the 89th minute so you know we, we, it, the, the, the score lines haven't reflected just the as if gang on in some kind of crisis but I think in, in this game especially we, we saw if come uh, saw evident some of the issues that they've had um, I think they were okay going forward they've got some good options we know that you know the likes of Salibur, Grenchen and when Benazay came back, he looked to to be almost a you know a, a missing a missing key actually. Really, I thought he was the sort of player they were looking for to provide some real creativity. But their form has been up and down, and and I think uh, against Nice we saw one of the major issues, which was at the back, which is one of the things that have been so stable, especially under Comboare and, and then Gorvanek before him, uh, in in providing that that platform for success. And that was that was Kerbrat and, and Sorbonne. But this season. They haven't had that that axis that that duo is stable. Um, they've been rotated. Um, Kerbrat has been the one permanent fixture, but Iboa Iboa has come in from from PSG. Um, he's been in and out as well, and that sort of reflected the unsettled nature not only of uh, the defence but also the rest of the side. I think uh, Gangal amongst one of the, the, the one of the sides to to change the side to change their lineup the most out of uh, most of the, the clubs in Liga. Um, and defensively, that's that's where they came unstuck. I mean, Kerbrat had a wretched game. Um, in all four of the goals, you could probably point some form of blame on him. Uh, but then again, it's it's midfield which is also which left him very much exposed. Uh, compared to to last season, they what they really lacked is that that sort of that flair that, that they had. I mean, it was the counter attacking football that we all really really enjoyed about about Gangol, and they haven't really had that at all this season. Um, and obviously, going back to the rotation, that's probably part of it. I mean, Saliba has done okay. He hasn't done poorly, but we haven't seen him get anywhere near the, the, the levels he achieved last season that linked him with so many moves that all collapsed on deadline day, uh, deadline days. Um, 
but then, I mean, there's a number of young players in the squad. Um, you look at the likes of Coco and Blah, and none of them have really pushed on. But I don't think it's just a case of them developing. I just think don't think they've had the chance to develop. And you know, I think going back to the rotation, it's just they've not been settled. Um, only two players have played every minute this season, and that's Kerbrat and Johnson. Um, Brion's next. I think he's played a couple less. And then Luca Doe and Sorbonne are the only two to play more than 20 games. And, you know, when you're looking at that, you're looking at three or four players there, of which Sorbonne has been rotated anyway. And you're trying to create that stability that just hasn't really worked this season for them. I wouldn't be concerned about them dropping too far down the table in terms of what they've got coming up and, and whether they're in trouble for relegation or anything like that. But I think the the issue for them is sort of a sense of, well, have we progressed? And they haven't really this season. Um, I wouldn't say they have. And that's the worry, really, Jess, for, for next season, probably for, for Gang Gump, really, because there's, there's a lot of clubs below them that are struggling, really. But you look at this squad, there's some decent players, but there's some old players in defence, especially. There's also maybe a couple of young players that have, not quite hit the heights that they may, may be hoping of. I'm thinking Marcus Coco has never really kicked on from from uh, being a and it. Well, we've always seen him as a, a young prospect, but he's almost 22 now, so it's probably time for him to kick on. Marcus Turam as well came in at the summer. Big fan fairs, only scored the two goals, hasn't added anything in the middle of the park. You look at Salibor, we've already mentioned. You look at um, Abdul Kamara, they brought back from 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 Derby. He's He's not really added anything. Um, Ludovic Blah is, is very young still, but he's dropping in and out. So the worry isn't just now that some of the players are old, they're not scoring enough goals, but also that the lifeblood of a club like this that are one of the, the lowest budgets in the, in Liga and is that some of these players that they do have in their books, these young players that they have a lot of hope for and promise and looking at the end of that to sell them on, they're not progressing in the way they hope. Yeah, they feel like the whole club's in a bit of a strange position. I think they're one of those very likable clubs that everyone sort of roots for as a, one of those famous underdogs, a couple of cup wins, and even Ren, I'm not sure, sort of totally begrudged them that their success is. And, um, but they're a bit like, I mean, it's a bad example this year because they're both sort of in big relegation trouble, but they're, I don't know if they're kind of the French version of what teams like Stoke and Southampton have been like for a while in the Premier League and you kind of think not what's the point of them but for years they were like always very safe um, mid-table not worrying about you know maybe a nice cup run but otherwise not worrying about relegation not worrying about Europe and you sort of think what what's the point and I don't know if after a while I don't mean that in an offensive way but after a while I don't know if the fans actually get get bored of this sort of nothingness year after year after year and you know even I wonder if there's even an element of some people within a club sort of thinking at least if we had a relegation fight at least that there's something to get excited about um you know I'm sure I don't think they want a relegation fight but I do wonder if there's some kind of not complacency but sort of what do we do now we've established ourselves as a as a as a league and club do we stick or twist do we sort of um you know splurge to try to take the next step up do we um you know try a monaco lille whatever project which you know those two examples show that it really can go either way um 
and I just feel like they're they're sort of in search of a bit of an identity at the moment. And I I don't know. I did have um someone a, a Gangon fan a while ago sort of had a bit of a rant about the fact that Comboare doesn't trust the younger players enough. Um, I think it sort of goes both ways. I don't think Bla, um, Blas and Coco to, to use those as the obvious examples. I don't think they've they've quite fulfilled the potential that they they first looked to be having, especially in the sort of youth French teams. But at, at the same time, they can't do that if they're not played on a consistent basis. Um, I think Pete made an excellent point about the, the the chopping and changing, which I really don't think helps. Um, you know, bringing in players like Grignan and Vakoto, they're both very talented players, but um, that also sort of, I don't know if that does gang down a little bit, sort of thinking, well, you know, we're a club that's going to help players that are a bit lost in, their, in the middle of their career. Again, should they, should they be aiming for something more than that? And then, I mean, I, I don't think it, it made huge news, but I only sort of noticed it because cause Mess were involved, and maybe I'm taking a slightly biased view, but when Gangon and Mess played a few weeks ago, Comboare sort of completely lost it with Hans and, you know, was really insulting him, basically said, I'll be waiting in the tunnel, you know, for, to, to fight you and sort of making, alluding to the fact that he was an animal and all this, which seems very un like He seems quite generally relatively placid and um the gang on president also got involved and um actually hans is thinking of suing him for slander at the moment so um i don't know it, the club should be in a completely nice level plateaued place and i don't know if the fact that they are is somehow giving them cause to to have some kind of crisis of identity or maybe I'm talking load of rubbish. I don't know. I'm trying to find a reason because there isn't an obvious reason why it's fallen off a cliff for them. I'd agree with that. I think like last season, you could easily pinpoint what the Gangon identity was. And it was that sort of a, a counter-attacking, fast-flowing pace, pace with, with young players that are looking to develop their career led by, you know, Jimmy Brion, the experienced head. And this season, you know, it just it feels a bit disjointed. It feels like there's been a disconnect. It hasn't felt like they've tried to build on last season at all. It's felt like they've sort of sidestepped, but they've at the same time almost gone backwards a little bit. I think, you know, in terms of the way they've set up and the way they've been playing, it's it's very difficult to associate, you know, with a, with a set sort of lineup apart from Brion. Brion has been hasn't been, you know, outstanding. And when you when you are chopping and changing as much as you are, it becomes very difficult for. Well, any kind of rhythm for one thing, but to, especially in terms of identity, I don't think there's a point there because, you know, you, how can you foster it? I don't think that you can. And that's definitely been one of their major issues. It's the very funny thing at the moment, isn't it? It's almost like, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, Jez, about possibly a previous stoke. But I'm also thinking for, for Serie A fans out there that I think a perfect example is a Kievo, maybe um, a team that sort of perpetually have been mid-table, never really troubling the upper echelons never really quite getting in the scrap for relegation consistently at least anyway just sort of stuck in a plateau and when you are in that and in in all honesty that's gang on overachieving if, if we're being absolutely honest here um how long can you really sustain that kind of level though of, of sort of middling nothingness is it, is it maybe better to be fighting for your lives for maybe a season and then seeing that that through or or, or spending a little bit more or, or adding a little bit more 
ingenuity to it and try and push it for those European places and try something different. It's it's one of those strange struggles. It, it will, like you say, it would be nice to hear from fans that have teams like like that where they feel like a middle. Maybe a perfect English example might be an Ipswich, really, at the moment. that That's a team that is a perpetual 12th place in the championship, isn't it? That it's sort of <laughs> never really going to go anywhere and won't spend the money to try and push for, further forward and, and won't quite sink enough to, to trouble the, the bottom places. But at the same time, when you are a team like that, eventually, like Stoke, it tends to get you in the end. It tends to be a point where it sort of stagnates a little bit too much and you do um, sink into another relegation battle. But that's what I fear about going on next season if they, they don't pull their finger out a little bit. Um, on to league leaders, really, now, who um, return to league on form, really, as they beat uh, Mets 5-0. But what happens now after that Champions League defeat is is the interesting one because they've they've got a whole season left still. There's, there's another third of a season left, Peter, really. There's two cup, well, possibly two cup finals, one semi-final yet to come, obviously, first and, and the cup final in a couple of weeks. But they've got an entire league and schedule still left to go really what did they try and do in these last sections was was saturday an example of them trying to do something new with playing players like christian and kunku and and playing him for the entire match and and bringing on timothy weyer earlier and having different options on the bench is it time to experiment with this team for the rest of the season it's quite strange isn't it this idea that you know clubs going for free uh, pieces of silverware, but they may be on the point of an existential crisis that leaves them looking. What's what? What's the meaning of this anymore? And it's all very weird. But you know, there there is a lot to play for, and I think part of that will be giving other players opportunities. I think Emery will want to do that. I think he has tried to force it as much as he can uh, at times um, within the constraints that he he's had on him. But I think uh, fundamentally, they're they're helped by the World Cup this year. Um, if they want, in terms of maintaining performance standards, there are a lot of players in that squad who will be playing for places uh, to to go to Russia, and I think that you know that that should keep their their, their standards high. Um, they will be motivated by the silverware, of course, and and rightly they should be. You know, you can win as many times as you want, but you know that that's you know that's what you play for. It's it's those opportunities. And that, the league the league on title's not wrapped up yet. Um, obviously, the scoop to league final is next week, I think. Is it next week? Is it next week? Or week after next? Hmm. It's, it's um, the week 30, after next. Thirty uh, first. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's all they're all opportunities on the horizon, and and that does give Emery a chance to experiment to an extent. But then again, you have the fact that, that there's going to be serious change in in the summer. So there's also that that side to to consider. And I think for now, it's a case of wrapping up this season the best way they can. Giving opportunities to the likes of Nkunku, uh, who was who was excellent, really, really good on the left hand side for, for PSG against Mets. Um, I, I was going to say something horrible about Mets then, but I'll leave that. My <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'll be nice. Um, <laughs> you're going down anyway, so exactly. Um, but, um, but yeah, no. So there, there is opportunity for, for for that kind of experimentation, and and I the. <laughs> I guess it's one of those when you see games like like this, and obviously PSG ran out five 0 winners, but they could have scored so many more. And I, I think that's kind of well, I'm going off on, on a slight tangent here when just thinking about the issues that they've got. But I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But you know, the, the idea that when you have players like Mbappe, for example, who could have scored about four, you know, and they're missing so many opportunities, and there's no sense of punishment for that. And they're going to win the league title anyway as well. And it's just that sort of sense that you know when you're trying to aspire to such high levels. 
it, it, you can see where that argument comes from at times, and I think that was that was slightly evident against, against Mets on on Saturday afternoon. But that said, you know there is a lot to play for for them this season, and they will want to make sure that they end the season on a high. And Emery especially will want to make sure that his CV is as polished as possible. Because mm. that—that's the interesting thing now, really, Jez. It, it is that kind of what can they do for the rest of the season? Trying different stuff, and one thing they can do, like I mentioned, is try and play some of these younger players, give them a chance, maybe even pop them in the the shop window to help with that FFP in the in the summer that will probably um, rear its ugly head as well. And one player in that is. Christian and Kunku, Christopher and Kunku has come through the, the ranks there at, at Paris Saint-Germain. He's, he's still a young player. And in that one, could have had four goals, really. He had one chalked off. He had, he had two nice little goals. He, he hit the post. He showed that he has some ability and, uh, uh, yeah, some might argue against a Met side, but he's not necessarily going to be someone that's going to be starting fairly regularly for Paris Saint-Germain, but for someone else, maybe in Europe or, or else in France, he could be someone that um, teams have a look at. Yeah. I feel I should just quickly say that Mets hit the bar and probably should have scored when it was just one nil, but um, yeah, just <laughs> stick <laughs> up with them a little bit. But um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, it's weird to say about a match that finished 5-0, but I just thought everything about that match was, who cares? Couldn't care less either way. Mess are down. PSG have got pretty much one possibly difficult match left this season, which is the, the Coupe de la Ligue final against Monaco. You know, they will win the league. Um, assuming they beat Caen, They'll play either Chambly or Les Albiers in the in the Coupe de France final, and yeah, it is more silverware. But you know, okay, that they'll they'll win back the title, which is important, and two cups are nice. But I don't think many in the in the squad probably care that much about those two. The fact is, it's you know not even halfway through March, and the season's pretty much over for them. And yeah, I think that the, the only thing that can make the rest of the season interesting for them is to play around a little bit with the team, give um, some youngsters like Nkunku more of a chance, maybe, you know, possibly give Lo Celso the keys to, to the, to the number 10 position or, you know, the, to the more attacking role and see what he can do there rather than having to, to be on defensive duty as well. But I just, I still feel like, um, the team selection is is probably something that that gets sorted out higher than Emery, higher up than Emery, and I think that's a problem. It's nice that they're giving Nkunku a go, a go, but there's lots more like him waiting in the wings, and he's been waiting in the wings long enough. And yeah, he was excellent, and you know it was really good to, to see him take his chance. I just I fear that these are the only chances they'll get. You know, a few of these players have performed well in the past in in um pre-season and then as soon as the season started they they've they've vanished from from team lineups um i feel like this is a sort of post-season <laughs> for psg in a way and um i'm i'm just i'm not hopeful that unless you know, someone does something truly spectacular like Nkunku carries on scoring a couple of goals a game for the rest of the season um, and you know, really cements his place in the squad for next season. Great, but I'm not hopeful that even if they get a few runouts here, um, that that much is going to happen with them next year. I think you know, 
to the extent that they can and, and in the summer I sh i'm sure they, they will sell two or three players for, for a decent amount of money and then presumably um try to buy um a few stars to replace them um and i, th I, just, I still think players like Nkunku will will be bit part squad players at best but possibly should be looking to move on if they really want, want to cement themselves as as first team regulars somewhere unfortunately yeah. absolutely but but uh, they this is a great chance for them to hopefully put themselves in the shop window and convince a team that they're good enough um to play for Paris Saint-Germain and good enough to play for someone else more regularly and as a consistent starter that's that's I think the hope for a lot of these players you think uh, maybe Timothy Weir in the sense that he's probably a lot younger he, he and probably, a bigger name yeah definitely a bigger name but uh, we'll, we'll probably stay another year or so but someone like Uncuncu that is sort of he's he's in his 20s now he, he's got to decide on his future he needs to play more regular football um, if he wants to advance and whether that be a loan spell or a, a move permanently away um, in the summer that has to be on the back of the, well, in the forefront really of his mind and performances like that one against Mets if he can keep that going in, in future games with Neymar currently out and, and they don't mind rotating things with Di Maria and, and others then take advantage of the chances that you get and hopefully um, someone might come through to him. But I, I wanted to quickly discuss as well on this one, um, Peter, but it looks like Emery's out the door. Um, it, we're relatively certain on that. Um, but let's start speculating who, who should really be coming in. Um, out of all the managers out there, who would you like to be PSG manager next season? Uh, it's a difficult <laughs> one. I think the, the one you'd, you'd like, the one you'd, I guess from an English football perspective, you wouldn't want Pochettino to leave Tottenham, but um, I think he'd be a very, very good choice. Um, that said, uh, for me, I'd, I think Allegri from Juventus would be a, a really good uh, appointment for, for PSG. I think what he's done with Juventus and how he's converted them, in, well, not converted, but carried on the baton of keeping them as a successful side, not only domestically, but in Europe especially, showing that he can win games over two to two tie. I think that the, the Tottenham tie was a prime example of that, especially in the second leg. Uh, the tactical nuance to switch things around to 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 take the game when you know it hasn't seemed like they've been on top. Um, I think that's what they've lacked. PSG. Um, I've said all along with with managers, especially at a club like like the like for PSG, is that they need an ego. Um, they need someone. Big enough to, to to force them into shape, and I think Allegri would be a good choice tactically. But then then you look at the the way the club's set up, and you've got the players that are, you know, they're they're, they're prized more than the team itself, and it's all about names. Even even Timothy Ware making his debut is just a name, isn't it? So just said. So it's it's you know it's you want someone to come in and smash them smash them heads together. I don't think Enrique could do that. I mean he. I mean, he has managed Barcelona, so that does weigh in his favour. Um, I mean, managing a club which I mean, imagine which Messi clearly does have a lot of sway in, um, and getting the best out of them is, is no mean feat. I don't think someone like Wenger could do it. Um, I think Conte wouldn't suit them necessarily. Um, I think in terms of attacking perspective and, and Diego Simeone as well. I, and how Neymar would, would want and whether Neymar would wish to appoint him. So, I, for me, I'd like, I think Allegri would be a, a, a smart choice. Um, then again, you know, it's that question of egos. And I think the way the club is set up at the moment, you, you, know, you, you can put a manager in there, but 
they're just going to get the same results unless you get fundamental reform about the way they're approaching things, where they're approaching the transfer market, where they're approaching in terms of managers' influence. I mean, we, we mentioned it before, but I don't think Emery had much 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 say in the transfer market. I mean, Des said about team selection as well. I mean, how can that be conducive to success? And and obviously, it's dependent on FFP as well. You're looking at whether they've got a bottomless pit anymore. But um, but yeah, going back to who I who I think would be a good point. I think Allegri would be a, a different choice from from the names that are, are battered about at the moment. Whether he'd want to go there is a different story. But um, yeah, that's who I'd say. Hmm. It's certainly an interesting one, especially if Allegri wins the the Serie A this season. He might think that's really um, the biggest accomplishment he can do at Juve if he can't manage another Champions League. Maybe that cycle of that squad uh, sort of runs out at that point, and maybe it is a time for him to move on. Uh, Jess, what do you think? There's a lot of names that um, Peter's already mentioned: Pochettino, Conte. I'll, I'll throw the the likes of uh, uh, Tuchel and, and, and Wenger, maybe even and maybe even. Diego Simeone might be a, a, club, a kind of manager they they maybe target as well. Um, what do you think would be the best fit for them? Um, I, I, I like the sound of Allegri. I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a really good call. I mean, my the ones that I was going to suggest were were Pochettino and also Conti. Um, if he doesn't want the, the Italy job, I do think um, this year he sort of slept walked through the season at Chelsea, but I think what he did last year was fantastic with them. What he did with a relatively average Italy team was great, and um, you know he, did, he obviously did very well at Juventus as well. So I think he's got the caliber, and Pochettino has done wonders, I think, at Tottenham, and and obviously has got the PSG connection. So I think that would be a popular choice, but for all the reasons that, that Pete said, I, I don't think any top manager should want to go near that job. <laughs> I really don't. I don't think, I think it's a very thankless job at the moment. I mean, obviously if they win the Champions League, great, they'll be sort of, you know, given the, the freedom of the city of Paris for life or whatever. But I can't see how they're going to do that at the moment with the way the club is run. And for all Emery's fools, and I do think he had a lot of them, and I do think he was weak, weak with the players, I do think that the major problems of the club are above him. I think there's you know, a very rich sport kid who is a very, very average tennis player, doesn't really have any kind of football background and thinks he can run a football club just by throwing money at it. But I think that you know the signings he's made, um, great, Neymar um, Mbappe is going to get a hell of a lot of um, uh, sort of headlines and lines in the press and it's going to get you a lot of um, shirt sales. But no team has ever won anything without a decent defence and a decent defensive midfielder. That's always been their problem. They've ignored it for years. And any decent manager, I think, will see that. And unless they're giving ab- given absolute guarantees that they're going to be allowed to sign who they want in those positions and then play who they want match after match, they're, they're not going to want to go there. And I'm not convinced that, that they're going to be given those, those guarantees. Mm. That's the real worry, isn't it? It's it's a tough situation that they're in in the sense of who they want to bring in and who they can attract. They would want someone long term in mind, at least like like a, a Pochettino. But whether it might be a might be a shorter term idea, maybe someone maybe Luis Enrique is another man who's, who's had his name in the hat. Maybe someone like that as well. It's it's a little bit difficult to tell. Um, time for the plane to Russia now, and we've got 
one interesting player and we've not got a lot of time to do it in. So we're just going to make one point on each of them, try and make it as quick as you can, gentlemen. And I'll start with well, a player, at least anyway, and it's Marseille's uh, Dimitri Payet, who's had an up and down season, but was the real catalyst um, in Euro 2016 for, for the French squad. Um, Peter, do you think he's the kind of player that they'll need again with his experience and with his ability to change games? It's a blessing in disguise you've given me just a short amount of time, I think. Um, <laughs> right. So, in, for, in pro Dimitri Pyatt corner, I think one thing that Pyatt does offer is, is, is creativity and, and that's something that Deschamps has valued with him and I think we have seen that despite his, his up and down form. I mean, he's up there and among, I think his third most assists in Liga on this season. He's up there with the most key passes of any player. Uh, of course, his form has been detrimental and I do think, it, uh, yeah, not detrimental, it's been poor. Um, and I think that relatively compared to the likes of Tovan and Fakir, you would probably favour those two and absolutely rightly so. But for, for what Payet has, Payet has to offer is, you know, his experience. He's done it on the international stage. I mean, he tore up Euro 2016. And I think that uh, big game, big tournament uh, pedigree will does certainly that stands him in good stead. Just do you think he deserves a spot against a lot of these young, exciting, attacking players that, that France have? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think that um, even this Euro 2016, I think he tore up the first two matches and did okay against Iceland, but I thought he did a bit of a Benzema and sort of vanished a little bit after the group stages. But since then, I think he's been, for um, the, you know, the, the most part of two seasons now, um, extremely average. Um, Rich, Rich made what I thought was a great joke the other day, wondering after Tovan saved them in, I um, can't remember who they drew against last week, but whoever it was when he scored in the last minute, not. Um, Rich said, does OM stand for one man? Which I thought was very harsh because I think Luis Gustavo is having a good season as well. But um, Payet, in my opinion, certainly isn't. And there's flashes like, you know, good goal against Bilbao, but I don't think he's done it anywhere near consistently enough um to to warrant a place considering that there's so many other talented players who could who could fill the same positions um you know Lamar I think is just as talented he can also play on the left or in the center he can also um be on set piece set piece duty and Lamar actually bothers to help with the defense I think one of France's big Achilles heels in the summer could be um the fact that the the wide players don't do enough to track back. I think it's been an, a problem um, with Mbappe in some of the matches he's played for France, but I'll forgive him because he's still sort of young and exuberant. Payet has always, it's always been an issue with him. Um, obviously, when you've got Evera playing behind you, um, that makes it, the job a lot harder, but it's still a job he's meant to do and he's never done it. Um, in the past, when he's been playing very well going forward, you could sort of balance it out and say, well, you know, the, the, the lack of defensive help he gives is is um, sort of hidden by the fact that he gives us so much going forward. But I don't think he's reached those heights for, for quite a while now. And in the meantime, a lot of very young, uh, very talented young players have, have um, come onto the scene and I think overtaken him. And... The only reason I'd have him in the squad is just for, for the experience of having played in a big tournament, which possibly not many of the, the more forward players that Deschamps chooses have had, will have had. But I don't think that's enough in itself to have him on the plane. Mm, it's a tough one, isn't it? And let's get a very quick final verdict on this. Peter, is he on your plane? 
Absolutely not. <laughs> Jez? Definitely. No, no, no. Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> what a difference two years can make. I think it's almost a guarantee that Dimitri Payet will be one of those players that misses out. Um, he might have a better chance to... Sp- because you think Deschamps might give in again. Also, you think that the Kingsley Coman has uh, has picked up an injury as well. The, this still may be a spot. And then Tovan's injured now. Whether how long that that sees him out for, and whether that's niggling towards the World Cup as well, maybe might sneak his name under the under the lights. But I, I don't think it's a realistic prospect with the with the other players that uh, that are at play. Um, that's all that we have time for this week. My thanks to Peter. Jeremy and all of you listening at home uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time same place next week Abianto and goodbye